if, if you've got your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Now, you had uh, Pastor Praise Olatona, uh, one of Colin's prime leaders with you uh, last week to speak about what it is to be spirit-filled. And um, we're now going to be looking at principles of walking in the spirit. And this is extremely important for us because Christians are meant to live in the spirit and by the spirit. And uh, actually, as we'll begin to see, living according or walking in the spirit is a totally different lifestyle with totally different principles than living just a normal life. And I, am, I, I see it all the time, I even see it in my life. So many Christians do not live or walk in the Spirit or according to the Spirit. We have a veneer of spirituality, but actually the way that we deal with the problems of issues of life, we just deal with them the same way that a non-Christian would do. Or at best, sometimes what we get with Christians, is that they tend to say, live according to a moral set of rules. Now, thank God for moral sets of rules. Thank God for the Ten Commandments. But according to the New Testament, we don't even need the Ten Commandments because we're walking according to the principles of the Spirit. And as you'll see over the coming weeks, the principles of the Spirit are based on love and communication with God's Spirit and God's Word. So, I guarantee you that over 90% of Christians that are even in a church like Kensington Temple, a Pentecostal charismatic church, will not be living daily life according to the principles of the Spirit. And so this is why this is so important. I take you to Galatians chapter 3, because here were a group of Christians that were turning their back on walking in the Spirit, turning their back on the principles of the Spirit. And in the place of walking in the Spirit, they were bringing in laws and regulations and moral codes. They were beginning, the Galatians, to put their trust in legalistic moral codes instead of relationship with the Holy Spirit and His Word. And so Paul says this is not the Gospel, right there in chapter 1. Paul says, this is not the gospel. In fact, you're turning away to another gospel that's not really a gospel at all. The gospel is meant to transform you from the inside out. But the Galatians were turning away from the transforming power of God, which is the Holy Spirit, and they were putting their trust in outward things. Oh, well, I suppose we should get circumcised, and I suppose we shouldn't eat pork, and I suppose we should follow the law, and if we follow the law, then we'll be good Christians, just as Jews have followed the law for so many years. And they were beginning to look at what I call outward props for their spirituality. Now... We may even look at the Sermon on the Mount in this series that goes in, into uh, November. I'm just giving you a feel of where we're going. Because the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, you know that that is the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And the topic of the Sermon on the Mount, you can read it from Matthew 5 onwards, is how to live the Spirit-filled life in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll see it time and time again in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about God working on the inside out. And so uh, uh, Jesus would say, it's not enough uh, that you don't murder if you've got murder on the inside. 
It's not acceptable to God. It's not enough that you don't actually commit the act of adultery. If you've got lusting on the inside, it's not acceptable. It's not enough that you, you, you give outwardly and everybody sees how much you're giving. No, in fact, do it secretly so it becomes an inward secret giving that only God sees. It's not acceptable that you go around and parade your praying for everybody to see. You'll get your reward from them. But shut the door where nobody can see. And God will be... Don't worry about all the external things, what you eat and what you wear. Your Father in heaven will look after you. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about relationship with the Father and walking in, in the Spirit. And the principles of the Sermon on the Mount are the exact opposite of the principles of the world or the principle of those that are outwardly religious. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're outwardly religious, but inside, in your heart, it's like an open tomb, your whitewashed tombs. So when we speak about the spirit-filled life, the spirit comes and works in our hearts. So the principles of the Christian life, the principles of walking in the spirit, are all about what goes on in our hearts, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And here, this new church, barely born, that Paul had preached the gospel to and introduced them to the power of the Holy Spirit that have their personal Pentecost. And, and Paul is amazed how quickly they are no longer walking in the Spirit and how they're becoming outwardly religious. So let's read. And that all starts when you get away from the power of the blood and the power of the cross. You foolish Galatians, chapter 3, who has put a spell on you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, outward morality, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, or are you now being matured by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, outward religious acts, or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who, the, who are the sons of Abraham. Now for that word, those of faith, just take the word trust. To walk the spirit-filled life, you need to have high levels of trust in God. You know, the Christian life is not rules and regulations. The Christian life is all about trust issues with God. That's why he used the example of Abraham being the father of those who believe. Abraham didn't have any laws. The law of Moses came 340 years after Abraham. So how did Abraham walk? He walked by trusting God and God's word to him and God's presence with him. And so here is a young church in the New Testament. And Paul is saying, what's going wrong with you? You're putting your trust in outward actions when you began in the Spirit. They began by the power of the Spirit. And then later on in Galatians, and we'll look at this, but we're not talking about it today, you'll find 
that there is the whole teaching that comes in chapter 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. How many have heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, um, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these, these types of things. And, and what Paul will say, and we'll look at this as, as a principles, is this, is that if you're exhibit, exhibiting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not your own peace, not your own perseverance, not your own self-control, not your own power to be faithful, but the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and producing a supernatural lifestyle of the fruit of the Spirit, you don't need outward rules and regulations. You don't need the law. You just need the love and the fruit of the Spirit, and you will be walking in the Christian lifestyle. I wonder how many Christians focus their spirituality on manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. All the time we're in situations where we're under pressure. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Do we even know what these words mean in the original Greek? Or are we trying to make life work through manipulating, through annoyance, through all the opposite things, which are in fact what Galatians says is the, is the works of the flesh. So here, when Paul says to the Galatians, you began in the Spirit, he was speaking about the beginning of walking in the Spirit. The beginning of the Christian life. And he said the beginning of the Christian life is receiving the Spirit. He was talking about their day of Pentecost. Just as in Acts chapter 2, we find that the apostles, the first church, received their Pentecost. They received the Spirit who was poured out on them. So the Galatians had had their personal Pentecost. When you receive the Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that is usually evidenced by tongues when it first takes place, speaking in other tongues, you are now walking through a door of empowerment where you can now live a totally different lifestyle. A lifestyle of assurance and closeness to God, a lifestyle of empowerment, and a lifestyle of purity. When we speak about the walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings to us as individuals and also as a church three main things. His presence and assurance, number one, His presence. Number two, His power to do what He's called us to do. And number three, His purity to become like Jesus. Presence, power, and purity. This is a summary of the work of the Holy Spirit in Christians that want to walk in the Spirit. So they began in the Spirit. They began walking in the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. But then what happened was they moved from walking in the Spirit to walking in the flesh, disagreeing with one another, trying to make life work in the old way, in the pre-Christian way, and just giving it a veneer of spirituality. When we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 49, we see that Jesus spoke to his disciples and he'd spent three years focusing mainly on 12 men, his cell group. 
He'd ministered to the multitudes, but he never put his trust in the multitudes. He'd spoken to the thousands, but he didn't spend all his time with the thousands. In fact, the nearer that Jesus came to his death, the less his time he spent with the multitudes and the more time he spent with his close friends in the cell group. He was basing the future of Christianity on his cell that he'd worked on, befriended, spoken to. And he told these men, he said, you're ready, I've trained you, but tarry or wait in Jerusalem, Luke 24, 49 says, until you are clothed or receive power on on high. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus said, I've given you all the teaching, I've given you the explanation, I've shown you the way, but I don't want you to begin to walk in the Spirit until you've received the Spirit. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And therefore, wait in Jerusalem. You're no good to me in Samaria until you're clothed with power from on high. Wait for me in Jerusalem. You're no good to me in Judea. You're no good to me in the world unless you have first received the Spirit. Meaning that if you receive the Spirit, that's what you're going to need in order to do what God has called you to do. Even Jesus himself made the example when he lived 30 years, 30 years without a miracle, 30 years without preaching, 30 years without teaching, 30 years without ministering, simply being obedient to his father and his mother. And what was he doing? He was waiting to model for us. He was waiting for his baptism. Then after 30 years, 30 years wait, he is baptized by John. And what happens? The Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes down upon him. And then the moment he is baptized in the Holy Spirit himself, then everything changes. Three years that turn the world upside down uh, uh, forever. First thing he ever does is go into the synagogue. Having had his baptism, having dealt with the devil, and dealt with him in his testing time in the wilderness, the first sermon he does is in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he speaks about the anointing or the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, etc. And he gives out his ministry manifesto there in Luke chapter 4. Now, when he says the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, that word anointing simply means empowered. Empowered. And the Spirit-filled lifestyle is the empowered lifestyle. It's the empowerment to do everything that God has called us to do. It's the empowerment of God's love and assurance. It's the empowerment of God's power to accomplish the things that God has called us to do. And it's the empowerment for holy living and for becoming increasingly like Jesus, which is what holiness is all about. And so you know the story in Acts. I don't feel we need to turn to there in Acts chapter 2. They're waiting on the Lord. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come so that they can step out of the room that they were in and begin to live the life that God had called them to be. God will never use anybody without first giving them an experience. And that common experience, there may be other experiences that God gives to different people at different times, but the common experience that God brings to his people is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the common, and it is an experience with God. 
And that experience, God never uses anyone without first giving them an experience. Even in the Old Testament, you can look at all the great men and women that God used. God gave them an experience. God gave Abraham an experience. God gave Moses an experience. God gave Jacob experience and Isaac experience. David an experience. He gave the prophets great experience. Anybody that God used, Old or New Testament, he gave them an experience of his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit was given to give them enablement. If you're suffering and you're thinking in life, you know, I just can't make it. I'm just, I just, I want out. You know, have you ever felt like that? I mean, it's common. Sometimes you, we all feel like that. But I'm saying, if you are consistently feeling that you can't cope, if you're consistently feeling that you can't do what God wants you to do or be who God wants you to be, the answer is the Holy Spirit. That's where you need to turn your attention to. Not to more self-help books, as good as some of them are, with some of them have got some good principles in. Not more self-help books, not other people to do the work for you. But where you need to put your attention is in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's no other person of the Trinity on earth but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all that we have here on earth. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father there in heaven. And the work of Christ and the work of the Father is done by no one except the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is all that we have on earth. This Bible is meaningless without the work of the Holy Spirit. You can read it. Without the Holy Spirit, this means nothing to you. Maybe some of you remember the time when the Bible didn't mean anything to you. I remember before I was born again, I even studied the Bible, John's Gospel and the Old Testament, at A-level. And, you know, although I could study it theoretically and theologically, it meant nothing to me. It didn't change me at all. But when I became born again and saved, all of a sudden these words had transforming power. Why? Because they became living and active in my life. Who, who made them alive? Who made them active? The Holy Spirit takes the word we, Jesus said, I will send another helper, another comforter, another counsellor. And, and he will remind you of the things that I've said. And he will teach you. The Holy Spirit is the great teacher. If you get anything from this sermon, this teaching today, if you get anything that makes any difference, it'll be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will, will give you something despite the preacher, but hopefully we think sometimes the preacher will be a vessel that God can, can, can use. And so Jesus commenced his ministry, Mark 1, chapter 9, having received the Holy Spirit. We have gotten used to living by the power of human effort and calling that the Holy Spirit. You see, when you were born, you were born into human effort and human effort thinking. And before you became a Christian, there was no Holy Spirit power available to you. So everything that you did was done by the power of the flesh, or the power of your own uh, ingenuity. But when you come to Christ, you have to crucify all that stuff. Those that live in the Spirit, Galatians 5 says, have crucified the flesh. In other words, you have to kill the old mindset, kill the old life set, set style. You don't become a Christian and then take everything that you were beforehand and then put on top of it Jesus. No, you are a new man. You are a new woman if you're in Christ. And the Christian life 
is about discovering who you really are. James talks about this and tells you, and so does Paul in Ephesians. James says, get rid of these filthy rags. Get rid of the old life. And let what's inside you, the seed, the born again you, let it begin to manifest itself. This is why the Holy Spirit brings the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Principles of love, joy, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, etc. And these principles, where does this fruit come from? It comes from the seed of the born again spirit. When you believe in Jesus truly in your heart, you are already born again. You are a new creation. You, Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God if you're not born again. You are, you are what we call regenerated. It's a rebirth, a new birth. The old you has been crucified with Christ. Why do you keep digging it up? It's been buried with Christ through baptism. Why do you keep digging it up? Or acting if the old you was still around. The devil's a liar. And sometimes the mind needs transforming. The key is the renewal of the mind. To turn away from the old principles of the old fallen man and fallen woman. To the new principles that are principles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I've already mentioned the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit seeks to bring. Presence, power, and purity. And I want to unpackage these things because these are practical principles, not just theological principles, of how we're to walk in in our life. When John baptized Jesus, John the Baptist said, you know, I'm not really worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, well, that's true, but... Let's fulfill all righteousness. I'm identifying with you. I'm modeling for others. And this is the Father's will. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, says, I'm not worthy even to tie his shoelaces. I baptize you in water for repentance, John says. But he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And in in, in that Sentence is everything we need to know about the day of Pentecost and what God wants to do with our life. He'll baptize you with spirit. The spirit of the living God. God himself. And it's not just any spirit. You know, increasingly today, people are trying to get energized or directions from what we call familiar spirits. Demonic spirits. You don't have to see some of the programs that are popular on cable TV and, uh, and you'll find that you get people involved in witchcraft, uh, with familiar demons talking about messages from beyond death of your grandma or your aunt and, and getting the facts right. Well, well, the devil can get facts right. But people are putting their trust in what? In lying, deceiving spirits. Or going to read their horoscope on a daily basis, allowing entrance for the power of deceiving Spirits or going after false gods or false philosophies. All these things, they're not harmless. Everything that is false and against God, behind it is a false power of a demonic spirit working through it to entrap people. So when we talk about the spirit of God, John the Baptist said he will baptize you not just with a spirit, but the Holy Spirit. 
And that word holy is extremely important. It means separated. It means not like anything else that there is. There's only one Holy Spirit. He is fully God. He is the third person of the Trinity. And he is holy. He is different. Now that's important because the Holy, Spirit way, Holy Spirit's ways are not your natural ways. And the Holy Spirit's mind and the mind of Christ are nothing like the way that you or I think. Nothing like. If you second guess or think that you know and understand the Holy Spirit, the probability is that you don't. Because there needs to be a complete renovation of the mind. You are born again. You have a new spirit. But your mind needs to be renovated. Your mind needs to be renewed. Because your mind is your greatest problem. Your mind will block the work of the Holy Spirit or your mind will cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. And your mind is full of self-deceit. A few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit gave me some of his rhema words. Sometimes and we'll speak about rhema words and how God will, will give you a special word in a special season and how he'll bring something alive from the word of God or preaching just for you personally. We're going to do this during this course. Everything we do is going to be to enable and empower you to live a totally different life than perhaps you're living today or to encourage you in your life as the Spirit if you're getting some of those things right. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my life when I was driving my car and he just said this. He said, I blow where I will. Simply, that was it. I just got, just, he said, how did that come? It just came in my heart, my spirit, into my mind. I just heard, I was just meditating and praying. And I just had this impression, this thought come to me. And it was, I blow where I will. And of course, knowing a little bit about scripture, I immediately went to John's gospel, John chapter 3. And there, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was, um, was talking about and said, how can I enter again into my mother's womb? He was thinking naturally. And Jesus said, look, you must be born of spirit and of, and of water. In other words, you must be born of water. In other words, you... You must be born naturally when your mother's waters break. You've got to be born naturally, but you also must be born of the Spirit. And being born spiritually is the beginning of the Christian life. And it is a more powerful birth than that which birthed you into this natural world. And without spiritual birth, without faith in Christ as your Saviour, and if you find yourselves dying in your sins and not born again, forget heaven. It'll be too late for you. Only born again, new people make it to heaven. There's, all you have to do to be born again is believe that Jesus died for you and rose for you and carried your sins and then you are born again. It's the greatest miracle of life. It's the greatest miracle of salvation. And so, so he says, you, you must be born of the Spirit. And then he says, the wind blows where it wills. Now, now the Greek word for wind in the New Testament is also spirit. So he could have said the spirit blows where it wills. And so is the person that is born of the spirit. I love that. It means that the Holy Spirit, he does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. You can't second guess him. You, you can't get some external rules 
of, of Christian outward rules like the Galatians and fit the Holy Spirit in little compartments. You can't say, oh yeah, I know what the Holy Spirit will do today. I know how the Holy Spirit will act today. You can't second guess him. He does. He, 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 he is like the wind. And do you know what it says? So is he or she that is born of the Spirit or born of the wind. So that means that the life in the Spirit is an exciting life. It's not a boring life to walk in the Spirit. But as we increasingly yield ourselves to the principles of the Spirit, anything can happen. Anything can happen. You can find yourself anywhere, at any time. The Holy Spirit moving, the Holy Spirit work. You're no longer some religious individual. And your religious life is outward. Maybe you say certain prayers. Or maybe you go to certain church service or certain rituals. Maybe you try and live a, a decent, what you consider a decent life. And none of those things are of important in themselves. But someone that is born of the Spirit is totally different. They set their sail where the Holy Spirit blows. And they are ready for the Holy Spirit to do unique and remarkable things in their lives. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills, not where you will. Not what you want. He's not your servant. He loves you and he serves you in many ways. But he's not your servant. We're his servant. He is your senior partner. You know, David Yonggi Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, and his book, The Holy Spirit, My senior partner. And that, and that is a very good way of describing the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper, the comforter, the advocate. And the advocate, or the paraclete, is the word Jesus uses in, the, in John's Gospel. And, that, and the paraclete, the word paraclete, which we translate helper or comforter, the word paraclete literally means called alongside. So when we're speaking about walking in the Spirit, there is somebody who is called to walk with you. The Holy Spirit has come to walk with you. But he's not going to walk in whatever direction you want to go because he's not the junior partner. To most Christians, the temptation is to treat the Holy Spirit as the junior partner grab his hand and take him wherever we want to go and say, bless me here. Take him somewhere else and say, bless me there. Holy Spirit, this is where I want to go. Come with me. Holy Spirit, this is the plans that I want for me, plans to prosper me. And can you make these things work? And it's like we're dragging around a little child, this junior partner. You, this is the way we're going to do it or we're not going to do it at all. When it's the other way, and the Holy Spirit extends his hand to us on a daily basis and he says, Will you take my hand today? Will you take my hand today? Will you apply the principles of the Spirit? And will you let me guide you through this day? That doesn't mean that every day with the Holy Spirit is going to be sensational. You know what I mean? I mean, not every day was sensational with the apostles. You get the highlights, don't you, in the book of Acts. But you don't get the lowlights. You get the highlights with Paul's travels and his missionary event, but you don't get the day after day, week after week, month after month that he's traveling with the Holy Spirit, just walking the path from city to city. 
You don't get the feeling. You get the epistles he wrote in prison, but you don't get the day by day by day by week by week by month by month by year by year that the Apostle Paul, the great man of power for the hour, is sitting there, chained. You're frustrated. How much do you think Paul was frustrated? But some of us, we get frustrated. We get frustrated about how things are happening and how we think they should be happening. And uh, chains couldn't keep us. We, we just, we'll just make it happen, thank you very much. We're going to make it happen. And the attitude of how we make it happen is not godly. It's not Holy Spirit. It's got nothing to do with the fruits of the Spirit. And we, we allow our lives to go forward through frustration. The very thing that you are frustrated with is the very thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to use in your life to bring you into a place where he can walk with you. Your frustrations, your why doesn't it happen today, these are the very thing that God is working in you to produce character. Because you know, even more than actions, God is interested in your character. In fact, in working in your character, it will produce a person that wants to act. Character is there. God doesn't need you. Do you know that? God does not need you. Get that in, right in your mind. God does not need you. He can use donkeys. Yes, yes. He can use non-Christians and does. He can use whoever he wants. He can use angels. He does not need you. But he wants to use you. It's a very different attitude. So if you think that God needs you, you're having a laugh. He doesn't need you. But he'd like to use you. That's why sometimes, he's, that's why sometimes we enter desert experiences or, or life is mundane. Do you know, the, the, the boring bits of life, the sort of like treadmill times, get up, go to work, go home, get up, go to work, go home, get up, get, go to work, delayed on the tube, go home. And you think, what is this all about? God's got a purpose and a plan. And whatever you're in, if you are allowing him to work on you, he's producing something. He's preparing something. You know, everybody's being prepared for something. It might be one moment. Your whole life might be building to one moment when you speak to a pharaoh. You know what I'm saying? Or one moment when you slay a giant. Or one moment when you reach out like Esther did for the scepter. All that time, all that time, Esther... Day in, day out, day in, day out, day in. Her whole life being prepared for the moment of touching the scepter that saved the people. But those moments are not wasted because they produced in her something far beautiful than the ointment and the perfumes that were put on her to make her beautiful before the king. Produced something of God inside her. Inside her. God wants to produce something special inside you. And so when the Holy Spirit comes... He brings presence, power, and purity. We see that on the day of Pentecost, don't we? We see that the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles and there's a great sound of a mighty rushing wind and God fills them on the inside and there's a boldness and there's an overflow and they begin to speak in tongues and there's a, a joy and there's a worship and there's a communion of the Holy Spirit taking place. And the first thing that they experience is this presence. A presence that they'd not experienced fully like that. The Holy Spirit literally fell. 
And it didn't just fell on them, the Holy Spirit, he filled them. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, one of his main roles is the presence of God. Now, when I speak about the presence of God, I'm not speaking about goosebumps. Thank God for goosebumps. I like them. I could do with a few more, Lord. Thank God for experiences that shake you to the core if you have them. Not everybody does. God works in different ways with different people and gives experiences to different people in different ways. But the first thing when the Holy Spirit came was his presence. And with that presence came great assurance. The Holy Spirit's first work is to give us assurance that God loves us and that God is with us. Hey, if we don't know that God loves us and that God's with us, we can't do anything or be anything, can we? And that's one of the major works of the Holy Spirit when he comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And his major ongoing work is to assure us, is to show us that God's love. Like a little child, sometimes you have to assure a child that you love them. I don't know if you have children, but I constantly tell my children, well, not constantly, but regularly, daily, tell them that I love them. Not, not in a silly way, it's just a meaning way. I mean, my son's 17 years old. Oh, isn't he a bit old to be told that he's loved by his father? Not at all. The older that you get, the more you need to know that you're loved. And he doesn't think it's strange when I'll just put my hand on his back as he's working on his computer and say, say I love you, Jake. He say, I love you too. And it's not just some, it's, we mean it. He's been brought up. We're looking in the eyes of my disabled daughter and we spend time constantly telling her, I love you. I love you. It's, it's natural because it, it's real. Well, God is constantly telling you how much he loves you. Now, loving you is not necessarily saying that he approves of what you're doing. Do you hear me? You can love somebody if they're doing well or love somebody if they're not doing well. But before we get to God's approval, let's start with God's love. And so we, uh, we, we, we see these things. Ephesians, let me just read a few scriptures to show you. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I'm in Philippians. In him you also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What that's saying is, is that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and says, I guarantee God to you forever. No matter what happens, I'll always be with you. No matter what happens, I will always never leave you. I will never, I'll never forsake you. And then we have these great love passages. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. We started in, in, in Galatians. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons or daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. So when the Holy Spirit first comes in our lives, he comes, and he comes with the spirit of sonship, the spirit of adoption, to tell you that you are loved. That you are, he's inside you saying, Abba, Father. 
We see this again in Romans chapter 5. And verse 16. Sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, sorry. And hope does not put us to shame. You don't have to be despair or to be despondent. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So the Holy Spirit brings the love of God into our lives that we are truly and deeply and eternally loved by God. And then finally, I could look more passages, but we're just introducing this. Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is the child's word for daddy or father. It's the child word. Jesus used it, didn't he? In in, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Abba, Abba. And you have... You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so he brings God's love and God's assurance and God's presence. Now God God loves you whether you feel him or not, but sometimes he will send his presence or his quietness inside you or upon you just to let you know that he loves you. If you need to know that you're loved... Go to the Holy Spirit. That's one of the main things. He's here to assure you that he loves you, that he's with you, he'll never leave you. If you fear, it says don't fear. Why? Because God loves you. God cares for you. No matter what happens, he's with you. He loves you with an everlasting love. This is a principle, and we'll see that God wants us to love one another. We'll see this principle. I'll come back to this principle again in other, other weeks. And then after presence and assurance, the second one is power. Well, we saw in Galatians 3, it says, have you who began in the spirit, are you perfected in the flesh? He that supplied you with the spirit. There is a supply of the Holy Spirit. A supply. A continual supply of his power. And it says, worked miracles among you. Now, sometimes miracles are instantaneous and spectacular, but sometimes the Holy Spirit's miracles are worked behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying? God does something for you, but he works it behind the scenes. It's a process, but it's a supernatural process. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. God wants to give you power to do whatever he's called you to do. Not just power to be a Christian. Not just power to pray. Not just power to witness. Not just power to lead as a cell group. Not just power to win souls. But power in your workplace. Power in your family. Power. You know, the secret of power is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, we can pray in the Spirit. The best prayers are always in the Spirit. What do you mean in the Spirit? I mean when God, when you're praying and you invite the Holy Spirit to come upon your prayers and anoint them and to coat them and to empower them. Those are the prayers that really make headway in life. God wants to empower your prayer life so that you can see results. Power of God in in our lives. And then finally... Power, presence, 
and purity, holiness. This is the greatest thing that God wants. God wants us, wants, and this is an incredible thing when you think about it. God wants to make us like him. Isn't that amazing? God wants his children. He wants to be able to say, like you can sometimes say about human situations, like father, like son. You know, like father, like daughter. In other words, what do you, what do you mean by that? That son, that daughter... You know, you know who their parent is. You can see the daddy or, or the mother, you know, in that. You can see their characteristics, their traits. You can tell what family they're from. Wow, you can tell whose father that person is. God wants us to be like that. God, God wants us to be in the world and people will look at us and, and know our father through us. That we, we will be, we will carry the, uh, um, the traits of the family of God, that we will exhibit the character. What is the point of you going into the world just being like the world? Oh, don't, oh I'm reaching out to the world. I mean, Chris Shimon at the 2.30 service spoke about integrity at work and gave his testimony about being a Christian in the army and how much of the time he was very, very different to the other soldiers in his moral stance. Not that it was just morality, but it was his life with God. He was like his father and he stood out. God wants us to stand out. But stand out for the right reasons. Stand out because we're anointed. Stand out because we're like Jesus. Stand out because we operate in different principles and different ways in life than, than others. The Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit. We could look at Romans 8 and we probably will. Romans 8, after Romans 7. Romans 7 is, you read Romans 7 you think, my God. What hope is there for us? The good that I want to do, I don't. And the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Or who will deliver me from the old lifestyle that's hanging on in my mind? And then you get Romans 8. Hey, first of all, there's no condemnation. And then it speaks about the law of the spirit of life. Or the principle of the spirit of life that sets us free. The sons of God and daughters of God walk by the spirit of God. Keep in step with the spirit, Galatians says. The principles of the spirit. God wants to give us his assurance. He wants to give us his power. He wants to give us his purity. And there are principles of action and cooperation with the Holy Spirit that will bring all of these things into manifestation in our lives. God is raising up an end time people. And this end time people will be partners with the Holy Spirit. They won't pretend to be partners with the Holy Spirit. They won't just be people of power. They'll be people of assurance. They won't just be people of power and assurance. But they will be people of holiness and integrity. Not an outward holiness, that is not holiness at all, but religiosity, but an inward change of mind and heart where end-time people are turning the world upside down because they've turned their lives uh, up, uh, upside down right. God has got so many principles for us. Next week, we're going to, we're going to walk in these. We're going to start applying 
principles of change. We're going to hear how the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and we're going to begin to cooperate these in these next weeks going into November. We're going to set out the plan and principles of walking in the Spirit in presence and, and, and faith and assurance and uh, trust and also in power, endowment, in uh, enablement and how to walk in that and flow in that, and also in purity and holiness in our lives. That transformation that God desires so deeply in our lives will take place. Well, look forward to seeing you hopefully next week, and uh, we're going to finish a little bit earlier. Uh, keep hold of your seat, uh, because we're going to go into a very special worship evening today the launch of our album, but more importantly, an experience of worship with God and also our senior minister, Colin, will be with us. God bless you. Thank you.